You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brian McCubbin. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. You come. David Hall. Marked safe from all the tornadoes. Very good. Justin Pearson. What's up, guys? I'm glad to be back. Welcome. And Mackenzie Stevens. Good evening. And special guest, Chris Waldron. Hello, everyone. Welcome. On the show today, we welcome guest Chris Waldron, Director of Parks and Rec, City of Fulton, New York. We get an April 1st tweet about rain and dynamic weather. We'll show you where you can learn to edit your own video on iRacing and how to learn all about the new late model car in iRacing. And remember, you can follow along with us on your PC or mobile device in real time as you listen to the show and see for yourself all these great products we'll discuss by visiting iRacersLounge.com and selecting the show notes. So log on and we'll see you there. Welcome, Chris Walden, to the show. Um, thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm a longtime listener, so I'm really excited to be part of this. Well, we brought you on just not as a listener, but uh, you have a unique uh, thing going at your workplace. Um, so I wanted to let's start off with that. Uh, Director of Parks and Recreation. You know, I'm thinking basketball, hockey, maybe some soccer. Uh, taekwondo, you know, maybe a cooking class, but what else do, have you cooked up for the city of Fulton? So I've been uh, parks and recreation director here for about two and a half years, and this is my hometown. And when we evaluated uh, where recreation was in the community, those stick and ball sports are in a good spot. And we wanted to embrace our race fans and make them feel part of the culture. Just like when, you know, if you're a student uh, playing a varsity sport, you score a touchdown, um, you get celebrated. How can we do that for our race fans and our race kids? So that answer was to turn to iRacing. Uh, so we started uh, last year, our first City of Fulton iRacing Cup Series. Um, that went fairly well. We got about, you know, 30 drivers to participate in that. And uh, I was lucky enough where if we're going to do a program like this, uh, I honestly, I didn't know uh, too much about iRacing. I, I've been a sim racer for about 15, 20 years, going back to the Papyrus days of NASCAR racing three in 2003. Uh, but iRacing, for the most part, was something I knew about. I didn't want to invest money into. Um, but when Fox Sports during the pandemic did the broadcasts, I kind of sat back and looked at that and said, you know, why can't uh, why can't we do this? So I, I spoke with our mayor and I said, hey, mayor, I'm thinking about doing iRacing programming. And she says, you mean the stuff from the pandemic that Fox did? 
let's do it. And that was that quick. We were off to, to the races. And I've been lucky that uh, we put it out there to the community that we were going to be uh, starting this cup series. And my phone rings and it's a friend of mine going back 30 years. And he says, hey, uh, I'm the number two iRacing broadcaster on Facebook. I'll broadcast all of your races for free. Um, that's James Batzer from MDI TV. And James has been broadcasting all of our races for us. And uh, it really just, just went off from there. That's awesome. Uh, so it's called the City of Fulton iRacing Cup Series. It's basically a league. Um, I guess my question is, who are the drivers? Are these all this city residents only, or, or are there others? It really grew leaps and bounds. Uh, our first year of the Cup Series, it was mainly local people or people that had followed the MDI TV stream. But up here, uh, especially with uh, Fulton Speedway, Brewerton Speedway, and Weedsport Speedway, which of course is on iRacing, dirt is king. And uh, we even in Oswego, which is an asphalt track, they do the Super Dirt Week. They'll transition it in the fall to, to a dirt track. So for the first time, the city of Fulton teamed up with Fulton Speedway and said, we'll do a, a dirt series with you and we'll provide entertainment racing for you during the winter when you're closed, which keeps their brand going year round. And when they help get the word out for, for us with the dirt dirt racing series we were able to get 21 states represented with 121 drivers canada and 35 different towns in uh in new york but the champions of our 358s and big block series were both from here in fulton new york you're right very good um how do you encourage your residents to uh, participate? Like, how do you get the word out to your city? Uh, I, I saw your, you have a good Facebook page where you guys promote this kind of stuff, but what else are you doing out there? Well, part of it is, is educating the public on what this is. And I know you guys and I, I myself would agree, this is not a video game. This is an immersive simulator that is as close to the racing experience as you can get without getting into a real car. So we've done press releases. Uh, we've actually got the word out through professional organizations. Our program won the Program Emerit Award from the Central New York Parks and Rec Society and the Multimedia Award, too. Uh, so now we're getting to the point where we're educating other uh, townships about what we're doing. But one big thing that's happened is we were able to get into the schools. Um, I was had a meeting with the Siemens company, and I mentioned uh, everything that you can do on iRacing and just how in-depth it is from track scans to weather changes. And my phone rings the next day, and they say, hey, we're going to donate $7,000 to build an iRacing lab at your local high school. Um, so that gets us into the education system, promoting iRacing to the kids. Uh, it hits on uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics, and it's so in-depth where the science, uh, you know, they can teach what, what the weather does, why it changes your air pressures, why when the track warms up, your car gets slick. Um, one, of our, uh, one of the tech teachers, he's a race car driver in Oswego, 
and he's got a good relationship with Jeff McConey. So getting McConey shops to come in and guest speak to the kids and talk about what goes into a setup or the technology of the computers, uh, the rigs, the streaming. We even got the tech students. They make the trophies for us for iRacing. Uh, the engineering portion of things from the aerodynamics, the track dynamics, weight distribution, brake bias, like those are all real life things the kids can learn. And when you bring in the arts of doing the graphic design of the paint schemes and the graphics into the broadcasts, uh, there's a young man, he's, he's not in the school district, he's actually out of Michigan, his name is Maddox Furquan of, uh, of our graphics. He's been making some wonderful paint schemes for me and the kid's 15, so how do we collaborate now with somebody out of that school district that can help bring our kids along to that level? And, Math with iRacing gets involved from fuel to adjustments, tire pressures. Um, the business kids are involved from soliciting sponsors, um, promoting racing events, marketing and promotions. And then the English department, which my, my wife's the English department chair of our high school, um, from writing sponsorship letters to broadcasting, communications, writing articles. iRacing is one of those things that it's just hitting everywhere for us all over our community. So the esports thing really grabs my attention. We just started an esports team actually at my school, um, and that what we were curious about with with opening iRacing at at schools. How do they handle the accounts and the licensing? Does each kid basically get an account? And you don't you don't have to answer that if there's any if there's any problems with answering that. <laughs> no, no, there's no there's no problem. So iRacing, we reached out and I, I would butcher her last name, but her name is Angela. She's been amazing to work with. They've communicated with us all through our league processes and the, this process with Steam. And there was two options that we could do. There could be a flat rate per computer where I think it would stay in that network that the, the school district could pay. Or the other option was to uh, have accounts assigned to the kids. And we chose the route. We kind of did what we call the Fulton package. We tried to pick cars that uh, they would have different feels for, uh, dirt, IndyCar, the NASCARs, and of course all the free cars that come with iRacing. But we chose that route because when you look at William Byron driving the 24 car, he's kind of everybody who everybody looks at for being discovered on iRacing to become a real racer. Just in case the next Jeff Gordon or Dale Jr. is living here in Fulton, we wanted to give them that opportunity to start collecting that data and follow their licenses. So we want uh, we want that route. Well, that's really good information that I'm actually going to pass on to our our uh, esports coach because that would be really cool to get them competing in that because I could help them on on that side of things and have a have a blast with that. So that's neat to know. So they can basically give a package where the kids are able to log in for league racing, I guess, um, and I guess they're able to set their name on the same account and just depending on who's on the computer. Correct. They could log in at the school or they could log in at home and have iRacing. And of course, our, our town, there is a lot of uh, disadvantaged, low-income kids. So to give them the opportunity, because if they can't afford a gaming computer or uh, racing wheels and so on, um, they now can do that at the school. So our hope is that it, it continues to grow 
And just like basketball stays after and has a game and they're around coaches, a good character, racing's going to be no different. They're going to stay after school, be around the, the race coaches, a good character, and uh, get some races in and, and hopefully uh, progress. Awesome. Uh, and the sponsorship, Siemens, you know, really made the difference there. What were you able to do with that? I mean, what kind of space do you have and what kind of equipment? Uh, the school, I actually had to go in front of the school with Siemens and sell them on the idea of what iRacing was. So I did a presentation to them and they were sold on it immediately. And they gave us one of their largest rooms that is going to have, right now they've got three uh, simulators in there with 49 inch curved monitors and Logitech wheels. They're going to have eight and that whole room is going to be transformed into like a racetrack. You're gonna walk in, there's gonna be race banners from Fulton Speedway. They're gonna put asphalt and dirt textures on the on the walls and you're gonna feel like you're walking into a local speedway when you go in there. Oh, that's great. I can't imagine being a kid and being exposed to iRacing. I, I mean, because I came into it late in life, and uh, boy, I would be a kid in a candy shop, i tell you what. That's kind of how I feel. I never, you know, I go back to when I was a teenager and I was playing NASCAR race in 2003. I never realized that that would cross paths with my future career. And then that would just be part of that and bring a community together like that. And I know if I had that in school, I would have never done track and field or football. I would have been strictly a race car driver. And uh, the nice thing about iRacing too, is if you crash your car, you don't have to repair it. Well, unless it's a timed repair in the pits, but not in real life. All right. Now in your industry, I assume the, sincerest form of uh, is imitate uh, uh, is imitation i mean do you have other parks and rec directors from other cities approaching you like hey how do i do this how do i do this program it's starting to happen but uh next month we have the annual new york state parks and recreation conference and i am teaching a session on iRacing to all the parks and recreation departments in new york state so i think i'll get it a little bit more there i did hear from the town of saratoga last year they were interested in kind of uh getting on board and doing something like that but uh the big thing is the broadcasting. Not everybody's got a MDI TV in their hometown that they grew up with for, for 30 years. So um, it's trying to have them find broadcasters that can help them broadcast their portion. And another concern of mine is if, if you have too many towns doing it, it could dilute the market. So how do you team up with them and help bring them along without you know watering down your own product? Yeah, absolutely. Well. Boy, it certainly is a neat uh, deal, especially for the kids, uh, the, the residents and, and whatnot. Uh, thanks for coming on, Chris, and telling us about it, too. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. And I did want to say one more thing is uh, one thing that we really noticed is that just like families go to their soccer games and support their family members. We're getting that without iRacing. Families are going on. They're supporting their drivers. Um, Actually, my brother just got a rig. He got a great deal on uh, Marketplace, and I've never been closer to my brother than I have in the past month and a half. So that's what's really great about it. But thanks for having me on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, absolutely. And, uh, hey, why don't you stick around for topics and uh, jump in when you can? 
we'll look forward to it. I'll see you guys later on here. up with the 2023 season two patch three release notes and i'm gonna jump out of order and say thank you for fixing the auto fuel issue that's the first thing i noticed on there is that you can now change it in the app in i and i yeah and i'll say thank you for the race control fix uh there was a big issue earlier in the week uh where the restart zone would trigger a black flag for the leader when he really didn't do anything wrong um, they turned it off, I believe, for a day or two, and then this uh, patch, they fixed it. Yeah, there was something happening to everybody at Bristol, wasn't there? And they, they actually were able to turn it off without patching, uh, because by the time I got on running A-Opens on Tuesday night, it wasn't happening anymore. There was a couple then, others. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. There was a couple others. Well, I, I confirmed, well. Uh, yeah, I confirmed it was turned back on today after the patch, the, uh, the uh, restart zone. Ah, so you're, yeah, because you ran NIS earlier. More on that later. Uh, we have, there's some other changes on the auto fuel. There, the, the auto margin limits have been changed to plus or minus 10. There's a label added that there's not sufficient fuel data. So it'll tell you when it hasn't calculated. It shows up as disabled when cooled down or gridding or outlap. Um, there's um, controls for auto fuel in the options menu now which have been renamed and are now functional. I guess you might be able to change it in there instead of just in the app and I and not app I and I. Um, and yeah, then the next thing is app and I and I. Then, then uh, Brian, we've got some stuff on the new damage model. Yeah, it says uh, with the system dynamic or system new damage model changes, uh, many vehicles were in a place of unrealistically, unrealistically high durability. So this patch includes a variety of vehicle body panel adjustments that should generally weaken their strengths and make uh, the cars much more realistic. So um, I had heard this uh, a couple of times from people um, saying that that um, they were hitting walls too hard and they weren't getting any damage and stuff like that. And that's what it looks like this thing's going to try to, uh, try to uh, address here. One more thing on the auto fuel too. I, you can go into the I and I and turn it off. So you don't have to deal with it at all. It'll just default off. There's a switch for it, but there's also a switch for um, the margin of laps. Um, I always turned it off because it didn't take into account three green white checkers and so you can actually put in the default margin laps to be 10 or 12 and that way you might it might be more useful in a green white checker kind of race uh so keep that in mind too i would put it to use if jrt didn't do such a good job already and i've got i've got hotkeys set for jrt that where i can change it without having to go into into the black box i just flick flick a button or turn a knob and I can adjust the margin. So it's, I mean, I'm glad oh. they added it, but I'm glad they added the an ability to not have it interfere if you already have another way of doing it. Now, this is the big one that they snuck in here that I'm excited about. The upper limits for both CPU and GPU memory sliders in the graphic options have been increased to 32 gigabyte and 16 gigabyte respectively. So we talked about this in our chat. Greg was speculating uh, this is in preparation for them doing 
more than seven cars for the uh, multi-car races, maybe. Or maybe it's for the rain that's coming. Maybe both. Right. And, you know, th- the other thing is, uh, you know, do, is this going to, you know, think about, do you want more RAM in your computer now that you can increase this slider to 32 for the RAM for the computer? You know, maybe you want to run a 64 gigabyte computer, you know, so you have enough for your third party apps and you can run the 32 gig on the, on the iRacing. Yeah. Never not have more RAM. So anyway, I'm putting together a build list for a computer. We'll talk about later in the show and I'm debating, uh, switching from 32 to 64 gigabyte um, um, on the RAM just because of this change. What are you guys on? I'm already on 64. Yeah, I'm on 32. I think I'm on 32. Yeah, so if I'm going to build a new computer, I'm going to do 64, I think, because of this. Isn't your box less than a year old? No, it's like third year. Ah, okay. I have a 2070 Super. It's still okay, but I have a lot of the graphics turned off unchecked and stuff to get enough frames so i'm just kind of prepping yeah there's there's just a point when they're going to have to uh start pushing the envelope on the capabilities for for all the things they want to add and some of the older computers are just going to have to go right uh i wanted to go back to the auto fuel for uh one sec was the problem you guys were having is you were running out of fuel or not for me because jrt would actually not do its thing until I entered pits and then it would send a, a message to the, to iRacing to change the fuel setting. So it would actually override when it would do that, it would shut off the auto fuel at the last moment. But what was kind of, what was a little bit of a nuisance for me with my dashboard is that JRT would tell me every time the auto fuel changed my fuel setting. So when auto fuel was recalculating, it kept flashing and it was, it was just kind of distracting and I'd have to turn it off. But my, I personally wasn't running into an issue with the auto fuel, though I had heard people say that they were not getting enough from the fuel margin. I think the thing I was worried about is you're approaching the end of the race. It auto fuels just enough to get you to the end of the race and doesn't account for the green white checker. And you, and you could only at the time do the margin of one lap or more, I think, or something like that. They increase that now to 10. Uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because with me being in the lower splits, there's always so many cautions that I always have more than enough fuel at the end of the race, so I never ran into that problem. There's been well, time. There's been times when I've been in, in situations where we were playing the fuel mileage game and actually trying to slow down just to make sure we could finish. Yeah, if you have a green flag run at the end, as you get in a higher split, you're going to have that. So you mentioned it, Mike. Uh, hashtag soon. Yeah, iRacing tweeted out, um, they're making progress with the graphical, physical, and weather-based systems. They actually did this on April 1st, I believe, and they said, no April Fool's joke here. The tire modeling recently reached a significant milestone, too. Enjoy this completely real screenshot amidst all the pranks and fakes on the internet today. And they put up a shot of some cars going through the rain. I can't tell what track. Uh, but you can see puddles on the ground. You can see the reflection in the puddles, which made me ask the team, wow, I wonder if, if they're going to fix all the water in iRacing. Like, for example, the lake in Daytona, the middle of Daytona, 
it's like gray. I mean, it doesn't even look like water. Like, are we going to get the neat uh, water effect there too? Now, what do you guys think of the screenshot when you zoom in on it? Um, is it looking realistic? I, really I think does. so. I think so too, because, you know, when you look at the puddles, it's got, you know, you have a dry section of track that looks normal and then you have a section that's wet, but no, no puddling. And then you actually have the puddle itself, which has the reflections in it, you know, from the standing water. So it, it's showing different levels of wetness in different parts of the track. And if, if that's all modeled together, you know, that's going to make for really interesting um, dynamic uh, track conditions. And the spray from the cars coming up, you know, I mean, how is that going to look, you know, driving, you have the windshields, you know, wiping it off every half second or whatever. And it's going to be cool. So, you know, so these tracks are all scanned, you know, within a millimeter. And I'm assuming not, a, you know, I'm assuming it's going to catch all the um, all the low spots and all the divots. So uh, I'm assuming they're going to make this to where those low spots are the where the water's collecting as it drains and stuff like that. So uh, that that's really cool and really something unique to iRacing because if you don't have a laser scan, you're just going to um, and you put water on the track, you you might ha not have that accuracy of where you know where there's divots and where there's low spots and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Like. Like, for example, I was just thinking Indy cars at Long Beach. I mean, these guys, the the real drivers, they know if it if it's wet, where where the on track to you know stay away from. Oh, there's going to be a puddle right here on the coming out of this corner. I need to go left. And so I wonder, like you said, is it is it going to be just like that, where the real drivers are be like, wow, that's uncanny. So my only concern with this, and I'm just looking through some of the comments, and I think some other people have it too, is uh. How hard is this going to be for some graphics cards to render properly? Like the picture looks great, but to actually render that while you're in the race, I think a lot of people are going to have problems with that. I think that kind of goes back to David's comment, you know, kind of the lower end computers are going to force them to upgrade. Yeah, or, the, or there'll be sliders for it that, that cut it back to a, a level that might be a little bit easier to handle for, for some computers that aren't quite as high end. Yeah, like, you know how we have trees and then you have two pass trees to make them even better? So maybe it'll be like that where you'll have two pass rain, you know, you'll have a detailed rain and you have like regular rain, you know, for the for the cheaper computers. Now, when you run dirt, you have to have some of the details uh, at a certain level or you won't be able to see where the slick part of the dirt is. That's true. So it ought to be it mm -hmm. might be something like that where you wouldn't even see the water on the track or the puddles. Right. Without that setting on. Right. So, I mean, one of the things that I really find interesting is not just that they say they're going to be have rain and stuff like that, but it's where they, they say it's a weather based system. So. You know, to me, that implies more dynamic um, changing weather and uh, weather events. And, you know, is it is it going to be tied in with real forecasts and things like that? Yeah, I, it, I think so. I mean, based on the screenshot we saw a few weeks ago, it looked, which looked like a system to model when the rain comes in and leaves, you know, they showed like, oh, it'll come in right before the race starts. And then we'll have a drying track, you know. All right, uh, Brian, it looks like it's time to talk a little bit uh, of a Porsche Super Cup. Yeah, so uh, this past weekend was uh, round five of the Porsche Super Cup uh, Tag Heuer series. Um, 
leading up to the main event, they had the all-star race, which we talk about a lot. No, 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 uh, no difference here because, uh, Matt Malone, he posted a, a, on his Twitter account, a video of, uh, of a really intense battle he had, but it was for last place, but, uh, it was still a really good battle. And, uh, Matt's always really uh, fun to watch. He, he brings a lot of enthusiasm and everything to his videos and really fun to watch I, as he streams. I love how he, he's the guy who, pushes the button to look left <laughs> like like he doesn't have triples so he has a single monitor and he'll be going side by side with this guy and he and he pushes a button and the whole view turns to the left and it's like whoa wait a minute what are you doing but it, it always throws me off when he does that i tried that once way way back when i first got it got the service when i was just on the single uh it, it was so disorienting Jarring. It's it's easy to look right with the vr I, I I can sneak to the right, even though I don't really need to very often. But it it, it just it's less jarring, I guess, because you have that smooth transition. Yeah. So uh, getting to the results of the All Star race, it looks like uh, Kenny or Christian um, Ortega actually won the uh, main event of the All Stars. That was his first time ever winning a, an event in that series. So congratulations to Christian Kenny five hundred Ortega. Um, so we move on to the actual um, real uh, real racers. And um, Jordan Carusco, who is actually the uh, the points leader, he actually scored a victory in the sprint race over uh, Diogo Pinto. But in the feature, it was rookie Gustavo Ariel who uh, took the win in dramatic fashion over Alejandro Sanchez and third place um, Diogo Pinto. So uh, points leading up to uh, just passing the halfway point of the season. Jordan Caruso still uh, is in the lead with Charlie Collins in second. Diego Pinto just one point behind Charlie Collins. Alejandro Sanchez in third. Sebastian Job is or Alejandro Sanchez is fourth. Sebastian Job is in fifth. Right now, Jordan Caruso is, uh, has got a 31-point lead. Fairly comfortable. A lot can change really quick in this series. Um, so uh, halfway through the season, looks like uh, Jordan's in the driver's seat. But a lot of racing left to go so uh check it out i think it's in two weeks will be the next race and uh and uh we'll see how how things unfold all right justin why don't you pick up this uh late model stock car article we got next yeah i racing posted a pdf manual for the new late model stock car in the forms and it looks like it's got dale jr's sundrop car these things are always neat you know, especially if you're trying to learn how to set up the car, uh, you, this is really a good starting point. You know, it goes over stuff like even the basics, like what what's the oil pressure should be at, the water temps, that kind of thing. What are the advanced setup options? You know, it goes over all the different parts of the setup screen, you know, nose weight, cross weight, ballast, you know, all these different things and talks about what it does and so forth. So this, yeah. is a, this is actually really cool because I'm I basically just restarted again and I don't know the generic knowledge of a stock car on how to set it up. This is actually perfect. I wonder if it makes sense to learn just in a car like this before you move into an advanced car like the A car. Well, especially for setup building, it's probably a good idea. If you're well, trying, yeah, well, trying kinda... to be a, become a state setup builder, I mean, I'm I'm never going to try to be a setup builder. I got an harder idea. Than you think. 
I got an idea what kind of things do. It's just I don't know what order to do what when. <laughs> it almost sounds like this could be used as a cheat sheet. So when you're doing an open setup and if your car is loose on a long run, you can look at that and figure out where to adjust and how much when you go into the pits. Yeah, I mean, in in you know those kind of during the race adjustments, they're pretty well known. So you know we can we we already execute that. But I'm talking about setting it up before you even get to the track. You know that kind of thing, like from scratch. Yeah, that's tough. Do you want to go soft or hard on the springs? You know, and just all those kind of decisions. You know, it's like I have no idea. Yeah, that's why Dave. You know, David said I'm never going to do it. I'm not either because. It's just over my head. It does. I mean, I can. I, you know, I'm the first one to say it. You know, I could probably figure it out if I really applied myself. But uh, I'm here to have fun and drive, not really, you know, set up the car. And I mean, we can't even get you to practice for five minutes, right? <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I'm not going to spend hours building setups. That's just it. It comes down to time. After a long work day, you get home, you just want to be able to load a setup and then get hit to the track. You don't want to sit there and be uh, working on a setup for hours on end. Yeah, and there are people on the servers that do build their own setups that are kind of, they like to insult people who don't. And I, I'm, I mean, whatever. I, I do what I want. I learned very quickly doing our city league of the wars of the setup shops. So that's why everything's going to fix setup. So no more war. Well, yeah, cheaper for everybody. If for, for me, you know, running the open setups gives you the opportunity to, uh, to be better, to be better than other people because of a setup, you know, where, you know, if you're fixed, everybody's got the same thing, obviously. So that, that uh, part of the, part of the equation is removed and i like having that part of the equation that's why i, I like doing the uh, open races a little bit more i also personally don't enjoy especially particularly with the a car or the road cars that i run frequently i don't enjoy the fixed setup because the fixed setup is usually really not good for my type of racing for my my driving style i need a really loose car i, agree I think a lot of that. people yeah go ahead chris well, I agree with that because for my racing style, I'm easy on the equipment. I'm easy on the tires. And if you have a fixed race that's about 30 laps or a short race like the ARCA cars, my style doesn't have enough time to kick in. So that's where doing the opens and having the longer runs, it really helps me. I yeah, think I, I like a good chunk Sorry, of my, my setting up the car isn't necessarily about speed as much as long run speed. I really really just focus on trying to have a good even tire wear and tire temperature 40 to 50 laps into the run. I think it with the open, it's more, you get comers and goers. There's more separation in the field. You know, the, the separation from first to last is, you know, two seconds instead of half a second. Okay. If it would be in fixed, like we ran fixed Sunday night and it was totally different than open at Richmond. I mean, the fixed race, we were all over each other and, and you couldn't pass, you couldn't get away from each other because we all had the same set. And so it was a lot, lot different race than it was earlier in the week when we were running open and, and it was a lot cleaner in the open, to be honest. Well, this next one looks pretty real interesting. So apparently it was rainy at the real Richmond, but Sim Seats was out there and they had some rigs set up for fan experience. Real rain. Yeah. It's kind of neat to see the, uh, 
they have tarps over the equipment, you know, that keep the rain from uh, getting the, the equipment wet. And I was like, man, you don't want to get your sim racing equipment wet. But they did have a roof, but they still put some bisqueen and stuff around the monitors, I guess, because the wind, uh, the rain might have been blowing sideways. Who knows? Something interesting also with this video, they, they don't just have rigs set up. They actually, it looks like, uh, is that um, Logitech? They have all of their wheels and pedals set up as well, kind of on a, in a display. Yeah, the kids can just kind of go up and touch it and look at it and that kind of thing. Kind of neat. Now, I think you missed a, a story there, David. I did. They were jumping out of order. So we'll jump back into order. And uh, I'll throw this one McKenzie's way. Yeah. Joel blew it. He uh, put a post on Twitter that he was protested and then suspended by intentionally using Alt-F4 to leave a session. So uh, he says he got turned in a C-open while running up front. He Alt-F4'd so people don't hit him and then got a suspension for it. So uh, I don't actually know what Alt-F4 does. It closes the SIM. It's, it's, a, it's a Windows command that closes whatever app you're in instantly. Okay, and then it just pulls you right out of the race then, basically? You just kind of yeah, disappear? Yeah, okay. disconnect. Yeah, disconnect from the race in one second. Now, the, if you, I was kind of surprised by this. Now, reading the, the comments, I realized the reason that they do this is apparently when people go to wreck, what they were doing was Alt-F4 right before they wreck, to, like right before they hit the wall, they, they Alt-F4, then they reload into the sim, and guess what? Their car's not damaged because they didn't hit the wall. They left the sim before they hit the wall. Then do so, they just uh, load back into the doing. pits? Yeah, they load back into the pits. Maybe they lost a lap, but their car's not damaged. So the 30 seconds it takes them to close it and reload it saves them two minutes in fixing damage. I get it. Now, so that, that, yeah. that, that part of the exploit, though, if that's the rationale, maybe it should only apply if the guy gets back in. Did right. He, did he stay out or did he rejoin? This guy stayed out, but that's the point. One person said is, look, they should change it where they, if the guy rejoins it, just like you said, that's when you would get a suspension. I do look at it the way of, I mean, nobody wants to wreck and nobody wants to wreck other people, but part of the sim is avoiding the wreck. So really him jumping out took away that real life factor of people having to avoid uh, his wreck. That's legit, even though it's really convenient when somebody disappears when you, in, in front of you when you're about to have your race ended. What, what you're saying is a pretty legit point. I never really knew yeah, but, that you could be suspended for this until now. Usually that's when somebody tows though. Like if they're, they're, they're stuck on the track and they can't, they're not going to get their car started. Then they going to disappear when they hit the tow button. But um, usually by then the tracks cleared up. You'd have to be really arc or breaking hard to really slam into somebody at that point. Now, but I've had guys that, that get loose and alt four right in the middle of getting loose right in front of me before no caution or anything comes out. They just, you just see them turn sideways and then they vanish. So it's, it's convenient, but, but the realism is a legit argument. And especially if they can reload, um, I would, if there's a, this guy, I would probably appeal it and say, um, first of all, is it specifically addressed in the sporting code? And if not, 
he could he could basically drive home the point that he he didn't get back in and use it as an exploit and probably get his suspension back that way um but if they rejoin that's that's a legitimate protest i think do you think there's a problem with them being able to tell if you rejoined or not after you all four out or uh, or is it a lot easier to track once you hit f4 they can track that a little easier whoever sends in the protest will just have to show a replay of them racing after they all f four'd out just you just in send a later live yeah you just send two clips and you show them yeah, later that's true so they're you're right I racing's not monitoring it either way they're just waiting on people to uh send in protests but in the if the person leaves and they don't come back i don't think we should be protesting that <laughs> uh yeah but chris's argument maybe yeah. make you know it drives home a good point that that's that's not realistic that the car can legitimately disappear when it's wrecking yeah and well, another thing dave sorry uh real quick another thing dave in the example you gave where the guy spun out and in the middle of his spin, he F four out, he probably saved himself four, uh, four incident points right there by not getting slammed. You know, is that a possibility? Who cares about four incident points when you're racing in IS? Have you, yeah, have you been worried about true. your, your license since you started? <laughs> no, not really. But to kind of go along with Brian's but, point, if there are people that are about to lose their license based on safety rating, that could save them or keep them from having an A license until they get to the next week. That might be a track that fits them better. Yeah, but and and another thing, if you're in a league like OBRL, you know, you get, you know, that counts against you. I don't know if that if that makes a difference if it's a league race or not. I guess. Yeah, what I guess. It? Yeah. Does OBRL have a rule on Alt F four? No, they don't. Not that I know of. I haven't I haven't uh, seen that or remember seeing it. But um, but yeah, your your incident per lap is something that they track, and if it's too high, you're gonna get um, you're gonna get penalties. What do you think, Chris? Is that something a rule that you need for your league or? I think it's a rule. That there's been times where I wish we had it. A few weeks ago, we did. Uh the cup cars at Iowa, which is something we'll never do again. And the guys are spinning left and right. Right. And that makes for a, a bad broadcast and, and numbers were down, but uh, we really, we haven't had uh, an issue with that. So it's, you know, it would be a case by case basis for us. Yeah. One other problem I can see with the alt F four is say you have one guy checks up and loses five spots but no one else does and no caution comes out for that then he lost five spots because the guy just alt f forward and left so it changes the outcome of the race when there should have been a caution really then we're getting on to like what danny hamlin did a few weeks ago so that's a good point changing the outcome of a race huh it's not a very appealing situation all right, with that horrible pun, I'll, I'll move us on to the next topic. We've got a full field in the sprint car race posted by Nick Nebon. Now, this is a car you've been running a little, Mike, or you quit running it. I used to. Now, you know, I was intrigued because, wow, I have not seen a sprint car race with 27 cars in it. And he claims that uh, they did it Tuesday night, uh, single split at Irwindale with 27 cars that sounds like a blast i need to get in on this so i'm going to try to find uh, nick nevon's race i think he runs this on tuesday nights around 9 p.m eastern uh, which is a conflict with the coke race but maybe on the off weeks i'm going to run it um, i think i'm going to get involved and try to 
get out there. So I want to throw this out to the listeners, man. This is uh, something you don't want to miss out on is running the sprint car with a bunch of cars on an oval is just like the best thing in iRacing. It really is. As long as you don't care about your iRating. That's right, because you'll get your ass handed to you for sure. But it is a blast. It's like kind of driving a, a, a jet, you know, like a, a plane in a gymnasium. It's just got so much power. The weight ratio to the power ratio is just extreme. Yeah, we ran them two years ago at uh, in, the, in one of the majors races, and it was pretty fun. I've been on iRacing for about... 10 months and I bought that car and been wanting to race it. And then it's just never official. I think the most people I've seen signed up for one has been one race. So it's good to know that the Tuesday nights is the nice night to hit. Yeah. Usually when you look at that room, it's empty. There might be one person there. Yeah. So what a shame. Yeah, Mike. And, and the way you described it before, it was almost like a league because it was always the same people running that series on at certain times. So, um, you know, you, you get to run with the same people quite often and, and get to know them a little bit because it's it's such a niche uh, niche type of race. Next up, we have Editing is Setting Replays, and it's a video posted by iRacing on their YouTube channel that's showing how to edit and save replays in a how-to series of videos. And I have not watched this one, but I'm assuming they're talking about actually saving the replays within the sim. And replay spooling and what the, what does that mean? Um, that's often a, a mystery. How to view them, how to replay them, how to record and or make screenshots. Um, it goes through the whole thing. Pretty cool. Yeah, I think the only time. Go ahead. I think the only time I've ever had to do a replay is when I'm filing a protest. That's about the most experience I have with it. Yeah, that's the most common reason. Um, I'm. I'll save some burnouts. I used to save some burnouts every once in a while or last lap passes or things like that. Um, the, the spooling thing that, that it'll talk about there, that's a setting that you, that you said, I guess, I guess either in game or in the I and I, if you don't have that set, you won't be able to go back and see the whole race. It, 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 it won't save the entire, the re- replay as you're going. But if you're tight on hard drive space, you probably don't want to have that enabled. It indicated you have to have RAM available for it. And if you're in a really long, like an endurance race, it could lead to problems. And um, so, I'm not sure that it fills up the whole RAM because a, a replay file is over a gig, right? Uh, it, it's pretty, I mean, I guess it could. It, it's pretty damn big. But when it's going on, there is a temporary file that you see in the replay folder that's there while it's going on so i think it's dumping it to the drive as it goes yeah here's what it says it says at 228 in the video use replay spooling at own risk longer endurance races can affect in sim performance this was um this is one of those things that iRacing did about a year ago where they were seemed like they put out a bunch of these in a row these how-to videos and then it kind of stopped so uh hopefully this is a this is um the first of many more because they are really informative for guys guys who uh, might not be uh, familiar with certain aspects of iRacing to learn about it and maybe get less intimidated by some of the things that you can do. Um, I think it's cool that they they are uh, hopefully rehashing these how-to videos. And at the end of the video, there's the Control F12 camera editing uh, 
lesson. That's huge, guys. I mean, if you don't know how to do the control F12 and use the W, A, S, and D key to move your camera around, uh, you, you need to try that. It's pretty cool. I mean, when you go to spot a car, you want to change that camera. Usually you do like a far chase. You do control F12, you turn it where it's 90 degrees from where the car is and you go up high and it, you get a really good spot. But if you're just watching a, a race, you know, you'll want to use those camera positions as well. I did save the uh, Phoenix NIS full length race back in November and that I saved the whole race apparently. And that was a 4.1 gig file. I don't have a lot of hard drives, so I don't really try to save replays. They, they build up pretty quick, like you say. I'll have to check that out for moving the camera around because I want to get some photos of my custom paint schemes. And I've only been using the cameras and doing the screenshots on there on the, the regular cameras. So to get some good shots, that, that's good to know because I almost paid somebody to do it for me. Uh, once you start messing yeah. with the camera angle, there's stuff you can do with motion blur to make it look like a really, like a really realistic shot. I haven't figured most of that stuff out yet myself, but it, there's a lot of really neat stuff you can do. Heck, if you have JRT, Joel Real Timing, it has a screenshot feature built in uh, with a motion blur thing. It, that works really good, too. So one more tip on the Control F12. Once you hit that, not only can you move the keys with the W, A, S, and D uh, up, left, down, right, uh, you can do control Z and then use the mouse to move the camera around and fly like a bird. So you use the mouse with your uh, mouse buttons to move forwards and backwards, but you got to hit control Z to get into that mode after control F12. And then to get out of it, control Z again. But yeah, go try to fly like a bird. That's pretty neat, too. I wonder if I could play about five seconds of that song that says I'm like a bird without busting copyright. Copyright. It'd be satire, so it, it would be legal, I think, for fair, in fair use. All right, it looks like it's events time. Brian, why don't you kick this one off since it's kind of right up your alley. Is the Porsche Esports Sprint Challenge somewhat of an event? Yeah, this is a. I think this is a series, right? Um, the esports. Uh, this is from the Porsche Esports Sprint Challenge. Uh, Canada, 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 Canada version. So uh, they they had a really good race at Sebring, and iRacing posted a, a really cool highlight video of of uh, some really good highlights from this race. And um, apparently, they were racing like this all all race long. I didn't watch the race, and I, I uh, just saw a little bit of the uh, highlight video. But really good racing in this series. If if you want to check that out, it's it's again, it's the esports Porsche esports sprint challenge Canada version. Hey, I should do a better oh. job of reading the reading the text where it says highlights. Didn't uh, Greg try to qualify for this? I think he did. Yeah, yeah, that's why I brought it up so we could talk about it. Uh, but Greg's not here with us. He'll be back next week. He he had a, a unfortunate situation in his family, and he'll be back soon. Well, now we can really start talking events. Uh, Justin, the first thing we got is the Road America Five Hundred. Yeah, David, the Road America. Try to hit that button again. We lost you. Oh, you got me. There yeah. you go. I'm oh, sorry about that. Uh, the Road to America 500 is a throwback event paying homage to the analog 
days of racing with the event's roots dating back to the 1950s it has seen many different names and formats in the 73 years since the banners such as the scca alms and the im or the imsa the iRacing event will be 500 mile fair that will able to be run or as a will be ran solo or as a or, or as a team sorry i got tongue-tied there it will feature both the nissan gtp the zxt and the audi 90 gto that's the coolest car i mean it looks like a big old door wedge <laughs> is what it looks like now not this weekend but next weekend is this event guys if i wasn't working i'd probably try it but all right, this is another go. one I would try, David, the Nürburgring Endurance Series. Yeah, and this is a whole series that's going to be mostly a bunch of four-hour races, with one of them being extended to six hours. I think there's a five-hour mix in there as well. Um, and it's it's just a, an endurance championship with the, with the smaller GT classes, ranging from GT3 all the way down to the... Uh, to the Toyota spec GR86, right? Um, there's a balance of power in the GT4 class, and it's running time slots of 7 GMT and 1730 GMT on Saturdays and Sunday at 1 or 0100 and 1300 on Sundays. And this is just a 10-minute practice, but a 30-minute qualifying. Well, it has to, you have to have that kind of a qualifying at Nuremberg. Um, your typical 50 and 50, 20 penalty pattern. And then you can see the schedule here. It's a series of four hour races with one, six hour on the July 15th weekend. Starting this weekend. So, and then two weeks later, um, they kick in again. So just a reminder. There's a lot of people on the service that just absolutely love, love this track. Um, I'm not one of them because there's, I can't learn it. I am actually. I, I love when I, when I can't find a race. This is what I do. I get in a car and go run this track and just get some windshield time, as they call it, you know, just, just put some mileage down. One. Podcast housekeeping, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find us. Mention that podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. Get involved in the Discord discussion. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And you can see our script at iRacersLounge.com. We are in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network. All right, let's talk some fantasy. It looks like our winner was a was one of our own this time, Brian. Yeah, yeah, guys. Uh, so Richmond Racing was a good day for uh, Tafosi, really. Um, taking the top spot was our, our own uh, Stephen Lou Allen. Congratulations to him, five point winner over Trick Dickle and Res Dog in third. But uh, we also had uh, Mackenzie uh, finishing seventh. Great job, and he was tied with uh, Nick Spiker, not Don Spiker. Um, uh, it's a uh, Donnie's Donnie's kid. We'll, we'll through nepotism. We'll, we'll consider him an honorary uh, <laughs> Tafosi member just to get our numbers up a little higher. Uh, but uh, also, we had uh, Donnie himself finished twelfth. Tony Groves thirteenth. Um, 
uh, Greg finished 16th. So, um, and we a lot of guys in the top 20. So, uh, good, good week for uh, Team Tafosi there. Um, so, congratulations to all you guys. I finished 21, which is not god awful, but um, it's it's a uh, it's mid pack, I guess. It killed well, me. McKenzie. Yeah. What'd you do, Justin? No, it killed me. I left Josh Berry in the garage, and I could have had some. Yeah, losing William Byron kind of hurt me. Looks like Mike got the old double nickel, 55. Ouch. There's Tony Grove in 13th. Wow. So uh, if we look at the leaderboard for the whole season so far, uh, Mason Racing still uh, hanging on to the top spot with Silver Mustang 91 in second. Uh, Trick Tickle is in third place. Uh, uh, top Tafosi guys, Stephen Llewellyn. Uh, of course, that win last week uh, probably helped quite a bit, but uh, he's been really solid all year. Um, and then I think we got to go all the way to 23rd in the overall standings for our next uh, Tafosi member. That was uh, be Spiker Man 19. That's Donnie. Dave, uh, Dave, you're just outside of the top 25. You're in 26th place overall so far. Um, Tony Groves 28th. Um, you know, these are uh, we're not quite to the point where people are going to start running out of uh, top ranked drivers, but it won't be too long before uh, you're going to have to start. Some of these guys are probably going to start running out of the guys that have been finishing up top all the time. Yeah, you get you get them ten times. So there's like, but if you think they're going to finish well, should you should you keep it chambered or should you just go ahead and use it? Right. It's a new. It's, no, I haven't been swapping out. That's probably my problem. Yeah, and another thing is, you know, um, it's it seems like once you once you um, at early in the season, you're not sure what manufacturers are going to be running well, what teams are going to be running well. It kind of settles out after, you know, about a month where you, where you know what teams are running well, what drivers are, are are have have got it going on. Of course, that changes throughout the season, but. And it always seems like you know, like uh, Toyota. Toyota seems to be down this year, where you might have uh, picked them earlier and earlier, um, but they haven't really put up any huge numbers like they typically do. And what about uh, coming up next week? I mean, Bristol Dirt. I mean, who do we like there? Wow, Chris Bell's Larson. I think Larson Regular for sure. How much dirt has Barry run, or is he mostly a asphalt short track guy? I think it's mostly asphalt for Barry. We got to look at Christopher Bell for that. And if you remember last year, um, Daniel Suarez had a hell of a race, and he like had no idea how to run dirt. Can't rule out Tyler Reddick either. He was last year's winner, and he's been on a hot streak this year. Briscoe's crazy enough, too. And Chastain. I take that back. Uh, Tyler Reddick almost won, but uh, he got wrecked by Briscoe, and then yeah. Bush got him right at the line. Yeah, I remember that. Living large or strapped for cash, it's all good at Metro Ford Chicago. Metro Ford delivers to you. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, we have over 160 vehicles in stock. Good credit, no credit, doesn't matter. We offer easy financing and guaranteed credit approval. Visit eMetroFord.com or call the owner, Patrick Milligan, 773-983-3166. Metro Ford of Chicago, serving Chicagoland and beyond for over 35 Five years. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. Let's start talking some hardware software sponsored by Metro Ford out of Chicago. 
We're going to open up with uh, a fellow that has upgraded his P1X to an X1 Pro SIM rig, and he's got a uh, looks like an unboxing video and review. Uh, have you had a look had a look at this one, Mike? Yeah, you know when the when Sim Labs put out this X1 Pro, I mean, I pretty much dismissed it. Um, you know, I, I saw the sides of it were were flat, and you couldn't mount stuff to it, and I'm just like, oh, I don't like it, you know. But after seeing this video, I'm having second thoughts because this guy didn't just buy an X1 Pro. He's he's modifying or changing his P1X into an X1 Pro. And so basically, he took his regular P1X and put it inside of the X1 Pro. And it really gives uh, a feel of how big this is. And I didn't realize how big it was until this video, but it really gives a, a platform or a, a, a dais, I guess you would say, around the seat. You got uh, you got a floor below you, you got floor to the left of you and the right of you. Most cockpits are fairly narrow. They're only as narrow as the seat. But this cockpit, I think, is what what's different about it, what makes it pro, is how wide it is. It's a really wide, you know, comfortable looking situation um i also just absolutely love how the steering column sticks out uh towards the driver and it the way it's designed and he shows it with the big thick metal it doesn't move at all it's just rock solid so would the main thing with upgrading to the pro here for him would that be more mainly stability then that he's adding from that you can't get more stable than a P1X, though. I mean, that's the gold standard in, in cockpits. So I don't think that's really the answer. Um, it's just different. I mean, it, like I said, it's more roomy. It's more comfortable. I, I think that's probably why. I don't know. I don't find my P1X particularly uncomfortable, but I also am not a giant. If you were a big man, man, this is, yeah, I would be looking at this for sure. But it's a good second look at this cockpit. I think I had forgotten about it for a while. Um, it is a good design. It, it's quite different than other cockpits because, of, like I said, how wide it is and the flooring. It's got a floor, so to speak. And yeah. I like how it's uh, jacked up off of the ground because I know when I first built my rig, and my, my rig is built out of wood, when you would get out of the seat, your your knees were basically up into your chin. So this has got a way so you can get out and get out comfortable, especially for uh, I'm only 38, but I still like to say us aging folks. Oh, yeah. I got mine up on tall caster wheels, so it's up off the ground. Yeah, mine so you can step out of it. Mine came with the standard, uh, I think, two-inch casters that come with P1X. Yeah, I, I built like a 10-inch platform that my rig sits on, so it's way up there. Anyway... If you're buying a rig and you're thinking about the SimLab P1X, you might want to consider this Pro rig um, instead as an alternative. Well, here's a question. Does the car doc think we should consider the Thrustmaster an alternative? What do you think, Brian? Yeah, so um, I watched part of this video. Um, I don't know if we've done uh, any um reviews from Cardock before, but um, it was a pretty entertaining video anyway. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was uh, fairly uh, fairly impressed with it. Um, I didn't really see too much about any mounting issues. I know that has been the rub on this Thrustmaster. Um, maybe I missed that part of the video, but uh, he said it was plenty strong. He was pretty happy with that. Um, the wheel was really nice. So um, 
yeah, he 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 thought it was pretty pretty decent. So um, a, a solid review from from the car doc, and uh, it makes you think, you know, where this uh, Thrustmaster fits in relation to uh, the similar models like the uh, the Fanatec and the CSL DD and the uh, and the others that are similar to it. Now, interestingly, one of the chapters is actually called Flex. <laughs> Yeah, you can see the flex around the seven-minute mark or so uh, when he's driving it. But I think that's part of where he has it, how he has it mounted. His cockpit's not great. But he did mention he had to drill holes to get this mounted. Um, the other thing is the proprietary Thrustmaster wheel. You can't really put a different wheel on it. So those are the limitations. Um, but as far as the driving and the force feedback, I mean, he did like it. How much is uh, the 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 base going for with the Thrustmaster? I think it's a thousand. Yeah, that's, that that is high for something that's not as good a value. Yeah, I, I don't see a sim. I don't see the regular sim driver uh, ordering this. To be honest. Yeah, and that's 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 why I kind of brought up, you know, that uh, we haven't really seen a whole lot from um, the car doc, and I'm not sure what his uh, familiarity is with uh, some of the other products out there. Like, you know, if you go on Boost and Media, that dude's seen everything. He's played every, he used every piece of equipment out there. Uh, I just went on the yeah. Thrustmaster website, and I think this is U.S. I'm pretty sure it's six fifty for this base. Six fifty. Okay. All right, that that's more reasonable. And I believe it's a ten newton meter. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fairly close to in line with the the Moses and the uh, CSL DDs. Yeah, this card, his rig is um, is uh, definitely not an eighty twenty. <laughs> nah, it's like, know, like a play seat or something, play seat stand or something. Something. Like it's that. a ne- it's a next level racing. I saw I saw in there. The one thing he did say that he saw in this base that he hasn't seen anywhere else is it has a button on the side of it to stop the force feedback. Instead of a separate button. Yeah, like I said, he, maybe he doesn't know that a lot of the big heavy-duty wheels have separate buttons on the kill switches, you know? Also, how good is that going to be if the wheel is is going uh, Skynet on you and you have to reach around the wheel? Yeah. And as it, and so it's going to chop your arm off. Like yeah, on the side. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because a formula wheel like that, when these things go haywire, you don't want to go anywhere near that bad boy. The round wheel is a little different. Let's move on to the next thing. We've got a seat. It's the O Rouge Cold Fusion seat. Justin, did you get a chance to take this one over? Yeah, uh, Dan Suzuki reviewed the O Rogue Cold Fusion seat and says he doesn't think he will ever be able to go back to a regular seat and that's something come from that guy he's a well-known youtuber yeah and there's two versions of the seat there's the one with the the head wrap around and there's one without the head wrap around and and the one with the wrap around is a little more expensive um, it's got the logo on the side and it looks pretty cool uh, but it's not really functional as a sim racer is what Dan said. I mean, it just kind of is in the way. So he actually prefers the cheaper seat, the one without the head wraparound. I think he said it's a $100 difference. So he said it's not worth it. Not worth it, right. And so the other part that he said was you don't feel the cooling system. It just feels like a normal seat. Like you don't, you're not sitting on hardware that's uncomfortable. Um 
and it's just enough cooling in the in the in the seat itself that it feels like when you first sit down in the seat and it feels fresh and it's not hot and it just stays that way throughout the race um, which is totally different than what I get in my seat. I, my, the back of my, my lower back turns into a swamp back. I literally have pour, you know, sweat pouring down my, the, the small of my back sometimes at the end of these races. Um, cause there's real, literally no ventilation at all. This seat maybe, uh, should be on your wish list then for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. You talked about have this the, before. Do you have the stock sim lab seat then? No, I bought an NRG uh, Prisma seat because I kind of understand why people upgrade their seats now. Because I, I thought you know, like this one's seven hundred forty nine dollars. I'm like, wow, but I got the stock track racer seat, and it's not comfortable for me at all. My Sparco seat that came, that I got locally, well, in, in country because Sims up, you know, you don't want to ship a seat across the ocean. Um, it's super comfortable. I, I, I remember how in, when I used to race in the office chair, I would literally start to have like tailbone fatigue and I've never experienced that in the spell in the Sparco seat. See, I have the uh, opposite problem of Mike because here in central New York, when we get four foot of snow and temperatures of negative 20 and my rig being in the basement, I've got to have a 300 watt heater in there to stay warm. But uh, I have a my seats are like an APC or A1C or something. I found it on Marketplace for seventy five bucks, and it's super comfortable. I think Brian feels your pain on that. Yeah, I got cold basement here. That's for sure. I won't lie. I listen to a lot of iRacers Lounge as I go out and snowblow. <laughs> I don't think you can order this to be shipped to the U.S. Um, I think this is a Europe only. Like I went to try to buy it and uh, and I couldn't because it wouldn't ship to the U.S. I would probably win the bet if I said nobody in Arkansas owns a snowblower. How about Arizona? Well, actually, Flagstaff, we get a lot of snow. You should get up in the mountains and if anybody lives up in any of the mountainous areas. But you're right, David. If, if this seat was available in the U.S., I think it would be on my list. Um, I think... Like Dan said, I mean, if, if you have this and you enjoy it, you're never going to go back to a regular seat because of the comfort level of it being cool. Yeah, and, and one of the things he mentions is, you know, when he's streaming, he's he could be in that seat for six, seven, eight hours. And, um, you know, it's he said it's going to – it feels so – it's so much more comfortable and uh, after, after long sessions like that when you're not getting up and you're all sweaty and whatnot. All right, let's hit the next one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play a little bit with the words here. For just an entry price of $650, you can get the entry-level wheel from Gomez Sim Racing. Just $650, that's all. Yeah, that's right after Donnie just spent $850 on his Gomez wheel. Uh, now they, they put out one that's 200 cheaper. I wonder if he's uh, kicking himself for not waiting. I just think it's funny that that at six fifty they call it the entry level wheel. Well, and, and now initially I told Donnie it only had one set of paddles on the back, but now that I look at the picture, there are two sets: uh, clutch and uh, shifters. Um, you, they're they're teasing the picture of it. They don't show the whole thing. They just show like a a side profile. I do like how it's not really thick, like the traditional Gomez wheels are actually kind of thick. 
but this one has got a leaner, meaner. Uh, it's not as thick. Yeah, it doesn't so look like uh, colored but, uh, knobs and stuff. Everything is just a straight black as well. And all we have is the two Instagram posts to go to go on. It's a, a, a rear view almost, and then one that's kind of straight from the top. Yeah, so we can't tell you how many buttons are on or anything yet. Uh, I, I guess this is something that they're still developing. They're quite ha not quite ready to uh, release all the information on it other than the price. Yeah, it's info on pre-sale and day one bonus coming soon. Yeah, I'm checking Gomez's uh, website, and, and nothing's on here yet. But, man, if you want to see some badass-looking wheels, go on to Gomez and just browse their selection. It's amazing what they have. They have some great stuff. I mean, I'm still turned off by the cable connector that you have to screw in and unscrew every time. That just drives me crazy. And I can't tell you how much I love the magnetic connector on the cube controls. It makes a huge difference in just convenience. Well, if would you have to unscrew it if it's the only wheel that uses that cable? You'd have to leave it cabled up if you, you know, remove it off your base then. Because, yeah. like, when I take my wheel off the base, I, I actually bought a coat hanger and screwed it into my rig with, with a T-bolt. And just hang my hang my extra wheel on the coat hanger. I mean, if you have enough cable play, yeah, why not leave it plugged in and just do that? I mean, I run the cable through the little hole in my you know front mount thing, so I would have to do something different if I did that. Maybe get a longer cable. All right, Mike, is this next one the wheel you have, or is it just the same company? Same company, uh, but it's the one with the display. So I have the Q controls wheel without the display. This is the one with the display. It's called the CSX3. It came out shortly after I bought mine. Um, and uh, we have a review here from the Sim Circuit. And uh, really loving this guy's channel. Uh, he, he he makes it fun. He makes he he like makes little jokes as he goes through, and he'll insert a little video clip to kind of emphasize his joke and. I don't know. I mean, I watch a lot of these reviews and they can get kind of mundane. I, I like it when a guy keeps my attention. And so I got to say that first. And, but man, this wheel looks bomb. I mean, if I was buying a wheel today and uh, my first formula wheel, I would probably go with one with a screen just because I did. They just look so cool. Again, the magnetic cabling uh, on this is the uh, key feature uh, the programming of the LEDs and the display with SimHub uh, gives you all kinds of neat things. Uh, he really does a good job of demonstrating, uh, for example, um, you can program it where the, the LEDs go blue when it's a blue flag and the leaders are coming up behind you you know, to help you figure that out. Or you can even set up the LEDs to flash like spotter light, like, oh, there's a guy to the left of you, the left side of the wheel will start flashing. Um, so you, there's a lot of neat things you can do with the SimHub integration. There's people out there that have already built profiles. I've downloaded one of those profiles for my wheels, so I don't even have to program it, um, where the blue lights come on and that kind of thing. It's cool. That sounds pretty cool. And it, it, it alerts you if somebody's on that side. That's really handy, especially if you don't have triple monitors, too. That could be a real big help. 
yeah, he talks about the quality of the wheel. Um, top notch is all, you know, is what he basically says. There's nothing uh, negative he could find. The only negative thing this guy didn't like about it was he thought the thumb encoders were just too stiff almost um, for his hand to, to twist those. Um, but, you know, that's a subjective thing, and some people like them stiff. I do. But, I mean, based on the connector alone, I'd pick this over a Gomez wheel any day. All right, Mac, let's mosey on over and talk about Moza. Yeah, Boosted Media. He uh, put out a Moza Sim Racing Buyer's Guide on his YouTube channel. He gave a top-level overview of the Moza ecosystem. He said they've done a really good job, but there are opportunities to improve, especially on the software side. And then he also said the pedals can be improved on for sure. He said the standout features are uh, the best QR on the market, smoothness and refined drive you get is very good for the price point. So I did watch some of this. I know he said uh, for the pedals, for the, the low-end one, and then even the mid-range one, he said they were they were pretty low-end, and there's definitely better pedals out there at that price point. He, uh, he does like the, the Moza bases. He thinks they feel very smooth. I didn't get to see the handbrake or the shifters or any of that, though. Yeah, if you're interested in Moza, this is a must-watch to really figure out what the ecosystem is, you know, and which of the three different bases you should get. Um, and, and he kind of describes, you know, which one might be the best one for you, depending on your driving style and how much force feedback you like. That's been a trend recently with a lot of the reviewers is, is these kind of compilation videos, right? Kind of throwing everything up into one uh catch-all video instead of you having to hunt down five different videos to, to get all the info. Yeah, it's good to have that comparison, you know, the side-by-side -side stuff. Now, the other thing that came out this week is Moza announced um, a mod called a 12-inch round wheel mod. Um, and it's, it says this round wheel mod has a diameter of 12 inches, um, which is 25 millimeters larger than the original ES wheel. This increase in size brings the wheel closer to the dimensions of a real car, providing a more realistic driving experience. And it's $79. So if you have the original round Moza wheel that's so small it feels like a toy, maybe you want to get this 12-inch rim to go to, to change it out. Even 12 is still really small. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I'm looking for a 15 myself. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with the 13 that I ended up with. Uh, again, frame size. But uh, yeah, this, the smaller you get, the less uh, finesse you're going to be able to have at ovals. Now, the real wheel, real wheel market for real race cars and stuff, almost all of them are 13 inches, maybe 13 and a half. Like you go on Google and look up steering wheel, that's all you're going to see all day long is 13-inch wheels. The 15 is a, is actually a rare bird. Um, most it's, places don't sell that. And it, well, it's almost specifically for stock cars. You, you really only need it for that. You almost don't want it in a situation where you're running on the road because you need a little bit more speed and responsiveness, whereas on an oval, you, you want – this big giant wheel so you can get uh especially for a pavement oval you want the big giant wheel so that you can really be subtle with the controls 
I guess my my feedback for Moza on this is if you're going to make a bigger rim, make a bigger rim. I mean, 25 millimeters larger is nothing. I mean, uh, that's they're practically the same size. So I really don't get it. Make a 13. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you know, jump up to a 13. So that's a, at least considered what's called a regular size oval wheel. Yeah, it's kind of like if you're going to do it, just just do it right from the get-go. I don't know why they would come out with a 12. I, I drive a club with a club sport, and I think that's got to be about 13, and that's pretty comfortable. But going back to my Logitech days, I mean, those, those were small wheels. I definitely like having the bigger wheel. All right, next up, we have a review of um, that has a nice twist to it. It's a long-term review, I guess, which means he must have been using them for a while instead of just popping them in and seeing what they feel like in one day. Um, and it's actually also comparing load cell versus hydraulics. Have you checked this one out, uh, Brian? Um, I watched the uh, his final conclusions on this. Um, so these are for the um, <clears throat> the Mecca Evo One pedals. Um, apparently, they have a, a load cell and hydraulic version of it. <clears throat> First of all, um, these are really beefy looking pedals. No matter which one you get, it's a really well designed. Um, you know, nice nice uh, deck plate. Um, all the um, components in the back are really solid looking, uh, really nice look, looking set of pedals. Um, some things I thought were really interesting about his final review is that he thought that the uh, load cell pedals for him felt more comfortable than the uh, hydraulic version. Now, um, he, he said he said it uh, felt a little bit more realistic and, uh, you know, he could definitely wow his friends with the uh, with the hydraulics. But for him uh, in sim racing, he felt like the uh, the uh, load cell were, were a little bit better for him. Um, he did did say that he had no um, no boosts in uh, times or anything like that. So it didn't affect his performance with either one. They were both really solid and really close. Um, so uh, maybe maybe some of the pricing uh, came was a factor in that. But yeah, so uh, um, it's he he did say that they're some of the best pedals he's ever had. So um, I really like the pedals. Um, he thought the uh, the load cell version was just uh, just as good for him, maybe a little bit better than the hydraulic, um, but uh, I think that seems to me more a personal preference. Um, he lo- was looking for more of a sim feel than a than a realistic feel. That's odd because um, I had low cell and now the hydraulic it's 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 night and day as much better as it was. I'm wondering what uh, the default setting for the hydraulic brake was and if it wasn't really legitimately drastically stiffer where you're actually getting the pressure effect instead of the travel effect because what you get with a real truly set up properly hydraulic brake is it's not about how far the brake moves it's about how hard you push and and it, it doesn't really hardly it hardly moves at all and so you feel pressure you don't feel travel and I think he's probably just more accustomed to travel. That would be my best guess. That that was the impression that I got from him is that uh, it was just something that he was more used to that style, especially on a on a simulator instead of an actual a real car, where you know the feel feels a lot different when you're using the hydraulics. Pricing is good too. It's mechasimhardware.com. The uh, two pedal uh, load cell five seventeen. US dollars and and the hydraulic 702 
So they're not too much different, r- roughly $200 different. Um, but boy, 702 for uh, a pair of hydraulics, that's pretty good. No, no base plate. The base plate is an additional 74. Yeah, that still doesn't shoot it into another order of magnitude, though. They do have some nice uh, hand brakes uh, that you can buy with them and get like a bundle package uh, for one affordable price. But uh, yeah, check them out. Mecha Sim Hardware. And the same reviewer also posted a couple of reviews on the Grid MPX and DDU5. Yeah. And I was drooling over this wheel too. You know, again, when if I go to if I was buying a new formula wheel, this might be on the list. The Grid by SimLab is what it's called. Now, Grid Engineering is start was a, is a company out of Canada and before they uh, partnered up with SimLab from Norway, is it? Um, I actually bought my rig from Grid Engineering. Uh, like they were a reseller of SimLab. And so I had it shipped from Canada to the US when I bought my SimLab P1X from Grid Engineering. So anyway, they've combined efforts and they're one company apparently. Um, and uh, this is some of the products that they're, they've put out, um, this wheel and the display. And so Lawrence Dusoswap, well, I, I butchered that name bad. He did the review of the wheel and the display, and he said they're a perfect match together. Um, and and he, he has a point, you know, when you buy these wheels with the display on them, are you really using the display while you're driving? Um, and, and he thinks not. He thinks it's better to have a static display behind the wheel that doesn't move and you can actually uh, make use of it. And, and he's got a point, you know, um, the display that grid is showing here isn't giant. I think it's a four by three, um, but it, it gets the job done. It's got the LED uh, across the top and on the left and right side, you know, for your RPMs. Pretty cool. Yeah. At first, when you look at the wheel, when you first unbox it, you don't think it's a, uh... It looks pretty plain and solid black, you know, simple bleak uh, kind of look. And then when it's plugged in, it's all lit up. And if I was wasn't running VR and was and was more concerned with it, I like how this one lights up. It looks very uh, kind of almost a sci-fi sleek look. Oh yeah, it's got a great look to it, especially the the knobs in the middle with the color uh, ring around the knob. Uh, you can have different colors there. I mean, that just really makes this wheel different from others. Um, the way that looks, it really basically reminds me of Tron. If you, if you remember that old movie, uh, pastel colors and the other thing he said about getting the the separate screen there is uh, he can interchange his wheels and still use that, and he finds that more cost effective than buying rims that all have screens in them. Yep. Yeah. And, and then another even more cost-effective option really is one of the third-party apps uh, where you just throw it up on the screen. I run a display like this, but I use a Android uh, A52 uh, cell phone, basically. Uh, and, uh, this is a secondary phone I have, um, you know, based for my, on my work. But I use it there, and I run a display on it, and, uh, and I like it. I mean, it... It, it it gives me those shift light, you know, when it when the shift it goes bright red and and yeah. that's mainly the reason I use it. And you do happen to use JRT, right? 
Don't you basically just yeah, it's a JRT it? dash. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I run that same exact same dashboard floating in my VR. Right, so you can get the same thing in your VR that I get on the cell phone, huh? Yep. All right, looks like uh, Mike's going shopping. Yeah, we're going to review Mike's PC part picker list. Now, this might be a reoccurring weekly uh, topic as I modify. But uh, I went ahead and... So uh, so Bobby Jonas, teammate, is really our computer guru on this team. And I put together a few key pieces, and then I sent it to him, and, and he cleaned it up for me and, and gave me some ideas and... I took what he did and I maybe backed it out a little bit. Like for example, on the CPU cooler, uh, Bobby recommended a Corsair IQ H150i, but the one with the display, it literally has a display on the cooler that shows how hot the the temperature is. And so you had to pay like an extra, I don't know, 80 bucks just to have the display. So I picked, so I like changed the cooler out. I picked the one without the display just to cut the price just a little bit. You know, a, l- oh. a little caveat for you on that. One of the settings with mine is a Corsair that doesn't have the display, but it actually with with both the the Corsair memory and the c- liquid cooler, you can actually choose um, the color to be the temperature thermometer reading, basically. Oh, so it gets so, red, and so it'll turn red if the thing's getting too hot. Mine pr- pleasantly stays always green. Okay. Uh... Some of the items, you know, I picked here was the Intel i9-13900K, which is 570 bucks. But that's the best Intel chip they sell at the moment, That I think. Uh, we talked about the cooler, Gigabyte on the motherboard, uh, 255 there. Uh, we RAM, we're going to do Corsair Vengeance. We're going to do DDR5 RAM. At 7,200, which is one of the fastest ones, that's 240 for 32 gigs. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the show I'm going to bump that to 64, I think. Uh, one terabyte drive, and then the video card, of course, an RTX 4090 came in at 1,600. Now, on this partpicker.com, uh, they didn't have a lot of ni- uh, 4090s to pick from. There was a one that was like. 1800 that had a built-in water cooler but then the next day it said it was unavailable so i still think there might be some availability problems on this card and i don't know if this particular one the pny is the one i'll end up with but that was the one that's available and i stuck it in there boy but 1600 for a card yikes and then the case uh it all started with the case i picked the hyte height y60 it's like uh, got glass on three sides, uh, and it's kind of white bottom and top. Kind of a unique look, unique look, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna try it. And then, of course, a thousand watt uh, power supply. Uh, the price right now it shows three thousand seven hundred seventy six dollars. That's not too bad. I think I spent right at three thousand on my last build. Well, we'll keep you updated, uh, and we'll let you know when he pulls the trigger. We got one more hardware to hit. Um, I saw this one, and it's interesting because, you know, I have a SimLabs rig, so uh, I'm definitely interested in the product. But they're now revealing a new load pedal set. It's a proprietary load pedal design that has uh, a handling of up to 200 kilograms of brake pressure 
Uh, they boast dual stage compression with swappable last elastomers and adjustable inclination and travel. Additionally, they're going to be releasing several upgrades and accessories in the near future with the, the uh, clutch pedal coming along first. Um, I, looking at the design, I kind of like the flat finish on it, but then the blue and yellow actually kind of comes off as almost an eyesore to me. It makes look, it plasticky. It, it, exactly. Yeah, That's just, about to say. It, it don't look pretty. I don't have another way. I don't have a better way to say it. Yeah, it could be anodized aluminum and all, but it doesn't look like it in the pictures. It looks like uh, play school. Looks like a Lego. I'm disappointed, to be honest. I mean, you look at the other products that we just reviewed from SimLab, the, the Pro Rig which was amazing. And then the grid uh, steering wheel, which was amazing. And then you look at these and it's like, are these the same company? I mean, how could it be? It, it's not even in the ballpark. It doesn't, like if you showed me these without any branding on them, I would never in a million years say these were made by SimLab. I mean, they're not horrible, but they do have that plastic look. I mean, think of Logitech, uh, think of Thrustmaster, you know, those kind of, plasticky looking pedals yeah that's kind of the look they got in in the south we have a word called gaudy that 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 would be a good one hey results nascar i racing series let's finish up richmond friday open p5 man i took the lead on lap 72 and i kept it <laughs> right up until the end, I was leading the most lap. I lost the lead with about four to go. I got wrecked via net code, basically. Um, there was a guy from a higher split on an alternate account, came down to our split to win the race, which kind of irritated me. Tony Rochette, P14. Two days after having a camera shoved in my right knee for a torn meniscus, I decided to have some fun at Richmond. Ran with Donnie as we dodged and weaved while well, we tried. Final green-white checker started seventh, was aiming for a top 10, but my leg must have twitched or something. I gashed it a little too much and spun myself out in turn two. Uh, Steve Llewellyn uh, led a lot of laps, uh, got a wreck near the end. David, you had a school event. Yeah, was doing, doing a band thing, uh, and we had tornadoes going 30 miles south of us. We never had to interrupt our event because uh, uh, the guy that was running the clinic, the, the guest conductor, were, was continuing to let every all the kids know that band directors are essentially part-time meteorologists, especially during football season, when we're having when we're having to determine if we're going to travel to a game or go outside, or just tell everybody not even to come in for the game. You know, so we get pretty good at reading the radar and and, and kind of coordinating with our meteorologists, but. Yeah, so we the tornadoes didn't didn't hit us directly. Uh, they they went south. They hit they actually hit the capital. Um, uh, well, North Little Rock is actually on the other side of the river. It's technically a different town. Um, and uh, place and wind got level pretty bad. But yeah, we we sat there and the kids played music and I sat and listened. All right, Tom Dryling came up through the field twice, finished tenth. Joe Owen lost a couple laps early but got them back. Now, quick note on Joe Owen. He announced to the team he's made some purchases. Uh, he bought a uh, Sim Magic uh, shifter. He bought a G5 
uh, seat, motion seat, whatever you want to call it, from AccuForce. And then he bought D-Box, the V5 one. Like the new D-Box, like four posts on four corners. Uh, that was $7,500 or something. Holy cow. McKenzie, P14. Yeah, I had an awful qualifying in that. Ended up starting 27th. I was running pretty well going up through the field, and then I got caught in a wreck, went a few laps down, but I still ended up being P14 because so many, so many guys just were wrecking. And yeah, that was, I was running well though. All right, Sunday open, Tony Rochette, P3. Wasn't the fastest, but consistently stayed out and ended up finishing the race on some old ass tires. 96 with about three or four cautions on them. McKenzie, P20. Yeah, I started P7 in this one. I stayed in the top 10 pretty much the whole race. I was, I felt like I was running really well in this race. So uh, around lap 110, I was in second. And uh, the guy in third behind me had decided to go aggressive trying to get the pass. And he went to my inside. I thought I had a little more room to get down to the bottom, but I didn't and I got spun. And then guys behind just didn't slow down, ran right through me and I lost a lot of laps and ended up p20 all right david p10 top split yeah i was really happy with this result it's uh it was top split uh there were two pros in this one that that showed up even though they had already run their coke race uh, a lot of good drivers uh, i played conservative just tried to stay out of trouble uh i didn't fight anybody too hard um had really good long run speed and brought it home 10th all right, Sunday fixed. I uh, ran with Tom Dryling. I think he finished 11th. Uh, I got DQ'd out with four to go. I kind of mentioned this earlier. With fixed racing at Richmond, we're all over each other. I was in all kinds of incidents that were not mine. I never actually wrecked on my own or caused a wreck. I was always involved in other people's wrecks. So. I had the drive-through penalty, and I think that was like with 30 or 40 to go. And then I, uh, you know, kept getting involved in stuff. And so as we got down to the end, I DQ'd out right before it, it finished. Let's move on to Wednesday Open, Bristol Dirt. Tony Rochette, P6, 17 cautions for 87 laps. Only got 6X for... Uh, about the 135 times I got hit and spun. Even had a guy wreck me and show, shown his displeasure under caution by hitting me multiple times. Yeah, the burb will remember. Justin, P2. Wow. Yeah, I also started P2. Decent qualifying lap, lap but it was really kind of uneventful. It's funny, going back to Tony Rochette's, I'm looking at my stats. I had 17 cautions with 88 caution laps. And... Yeah, I didn't fall back no more in fifth. I was just exhausted trying not to get ran over. I was just on complete defense the whole time. That's the way this race is playing out because there's never a, a long green run. It's just a few green laps at a time because of all the cautions. And and when the green flies, Justin, you're just trying to keep what you got, right? They're either throwing big sliders that are short and you got to eat the brakes or they're cocking it two sideways and they just stop and you got to veer off. All right, David, you were wrecked out. Yeah, this one kind of went backwards. I first of all was shocked. I almost got the pole started on second. I was like, where'd that come from? I'm, I'm not a good qualifier. Uh, 
but I couldn't keep the rhythm going. I couldn't defend the spots. That was it was it was one of the it was the same thing. Just constant cautions, and I'd lose a spot or two just trying to be careful on the first lap. Um, and then finally, one of the cautions happens, and somebody on the inside just comes up after the caution comes out and shoves me into the wall. I didn't even go look at who they were because it's dirt, and these cars on Bristol is dumb. So I was just, I was just kind of like, I don't care. I just went and did other things. I, I ran, I qualified P5, pretty much ran top five all night, and as high as second. I actually got destroyed on the final restart and finished 11th, which was very disappointing. You know, just like Justin, I would just ran that top five all night, just trying not to get run over, but I did get ran over on a final restart. Very disappointing. Uh, Tyler Williamson ran, he got a P14. So I ran today and I got a P6 in top split too. I ran top five all day, ran as high as third. Uh, there were big heavy hitters in the race. Matt Busa uh, was one of them. In fact, uh, I was racing Matt on the final restart. He was started right behind me. He did get by me though. I was running fifth and he got it. Uh, he ended up fifth, I ended up getting sixth. Uh, but fun to run with him and some of these other really high I rating guys. I guess I, I should say they're high I rating guys in oval, you know, and I recognize them from the oval top splits, but they're all, of course, running the dirt race with me and uh, we're in there based on dirt. But there wasn't a lot of splits today, and so that's why I was in the top split, I think. Nice to run well, though, in top split. Uh, let's move on to other racing. Before I ran we, the uh, IR. Can oh, I interrupt? Before we get out, Chris, did you run any official this week? Uh, I haven't had a chance to get on this week, but uh, I was actually in the Sunday open race with uh, Tony Rochette and uh, Donnie Spiker. And uh, that was a race, the first 100 laps was a wreck fest. And then I think the last 80 laps was green flag uh, from there on out. So we had old tires, I ended up finishing P13. Um, I'm gonna do the one race of the NIS Open on dirt, but I think my focus this week is going to be the the B Open Xfinity cars at Kentucky, and uh, just kind of work on that oval. All right, nice run. Other racing I ran was the uh, IRO4 at Circuit Gills Villeneuve. Was wrecked out. Ran the Toyota GR86 Production Car Challenge at um, finished 11th. Um, it was after uh, a really rough start. Then I ran Delara Dash at Daytona. Where we got the pole position. And then my weekly Gen 4 at Bristol. And now this is Bristol Pavement. Uh, it was top split, uh, qualified 16th. Had a long green run, got as high as 12th, and then fell back to dead last. 25th, one lap down. But after a couple of cautions, I got that lucky dog. Ran around 10th the rest of the race and brought it home P10. Then Dallara Dash at Pocono got wrecked off early. Then I ran uh, as a practice race, a fixed at Bristol Dirt. Qualified third, I got a black flag on the restart. When I was starting second, the leader didn't go at all and I got a black flag. So the question begs, what are you supposed to do if the leader doesn't go at all? Am I supposed to not go? Like he didn't go, like he, he, just, he just stopped, like, like he hit the brakes. So should I hit the brakes? I don't know. I got a black flag over it. I've had that happen before where the leader just didn't go, even when it says green flags out and it took off. 
And uh, it's, I don't know, I wish iRacing had a way to correct that because I definitely felt like I was in the right on that occasion. Right, like he doesn't go, I go because the green is out. I should be okay. I shouldn't be black flagged because if I don't go either, then everyone else runs into me from behind. So uh, yeah, I think they need to make an adjustment on that. But anyway, uh, restarted dead last. I ended up getting up to P5. Then I got spun in a caution and restarted 15th with three to go. And I got back to P6 and only three laps. So I came through the field more than once, run really well, uh, feel pretty happy about that. P6 in that one. And then I ran Carburetor Cup at Monza. That was fun, Monza Oval. Monza Oval is a fun track. Oh, I've had so much fun at Monza lately. I liked uh, the Class B Opens were there, and I actually got a win there by .008 of a second. Uh, that was a good time. It's really, the drafting is such a, a factor, and, and it's so narrow, you really gotta pick your when you're gonna make a move, you know, in the right spot. The races that have been there with the NASCAR-related stuff, uh, it was almost a battle of uh, survival. And I think the the race that uh, I got the W in, there was about five cars left the whole race. Those turns could get pretty tricky. All right, and then David, you got a win at Road America Euro Sprint Series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. It was a pleasant surprise. Um, I don't remember any details though. It's been a few days. All right, and then Brian, OBRL Cup, P16. Yeah, so uh, we were at Richmond um, in the uh, Kimball Cup Series at OBRL. Um, I started P21, didn't have a great qualifying. It was a big field again. You know, I think it was a 40, 42 car, something like that. Um, I was uh, decent on some longer runs. Um, saving tires really was the key in this race, especially, you know, it was a 180, 180 lap race. And, uh, you know, we tend to typically have longer, longer runs. So you can, um, you can really uh, save some tires and make some positions. I was actually up to 11th uh, when, a, when a yellow came out, um, which was right after I did a green flag pit stop. So there was a yellow that came out before that, which, um, which put us just inside the uh, fuel window, but nobody was going to um, run those tires out for that long. So they started, everybody started pitting like halfway through that run. That's when I came in. And uh, when I got back out, a yellow came out again and that um, put me a lap down. You know, I got the wave around, but you know, you're starting from the back of the field. You know, we were a little slow on the jump restarting, um, you know, after the after the wave around and and didn't quite back get back to the tail end of the field when the race restarted. So, and then it stayed green the rest of the way, which I was able to move up to 16th, which wasn't too bad starting from the back of the field. But I kind of I, I kind of threw caution the wind and burnt up my tires towards the very end of that run. So uh, got a 16th. I was pretty happy with that. Um, I want to shout out to Josh Robinson, took first place. Eric Essery, second, and Tom Ogle finished third. So congratulations to those guys. All right, very good. Let's jump to final thoughts then, Brian McCubbin. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it was uh, 80 degrees here, so spring hit with a fury. Um, and the and that always brings for me uh, lots of uh, yard work and uh, projects to do. It's always, for me, the toughest time to uh, stay consistent and stay uh, um, stay on the, on the rig and get my racing in. But I'm going to – 
you know, buckle down and, and make sure I, I set aside time for that, you know, with, with, uh, with all the stuff that goes on when spring hits and all the other, uh, things that I tend to get into. So, uh, yeah, so just, just really going to buckle down and make sure I keep, keep racing as much as possible. Um, I don't, I never consider it a chore to do it, but sometimes I put it on the back burner. Uh, so maybe, uh, maybe I have to rearrange some priorities. Who knows? All right. Very good. David Hall, final thoughts. I'm just like to say, it's really cool to have Chris come on. It's neat having uh, a public guy come in like this, the public official. Uh, it's particularly interesting. I was excited uh, on an extra level after I got to hear about the, uh, the educational opportunities because that, you know, that hits a lot closer to my day job. So thanks for coming on, Chris, and you're welcome anytime, man. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. And anytime you need help with anything with the school related, just uh, call me up. All right. Dustin Pearson, final thought. I'm just I'm just glad to be back on the rig. Uh, work brought me out. I was stuck in Chicago for a little while, so came back. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to get back to it. And I tell you what, Justin, you've been knocking on the door. I thought you were going to win that your first NIS race here this week. Yeah, I I know I was close, but I, like I said, I couldn't even get no momentum during that race. It was just caution, caution, caution. All right, keep knocking on the door. Mackenzie Stevens, final thoughts. Yeah, I've been pretty busy with work, so I haven't got to run run much in the last couple of weeks here, but I'm hoping to do the the Bristol Dirt NAS race on Sunday, I think, and hopefully I can just survive that. I like dirt racing, so hopefully I can have a good finish there. All right, very good. Uh, Chris Waldron, thank you for coming on uh, tonight. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Well, racing-wise, I'm looking forward to having the day off tomorrow and getting on the rig and, and enjoying it. Um, it's going to be a little chilly here, so I think it's going to be a perfect perfect day to be inside and be racing. And I do want to encourage the listeners, if you want to know more about what we're doing with Fulton Parks and Rec, go on Facebook, join our page. It's under uh, Fulton Parks and Recreation. Look for that green logo. And I want to say thank you to, to those that helped me with our iRacing program, uh, Kyle Perry and Mr. Duval that run the uh, eSports at uh, Fulton High School, James Batzer from MDITV. If you're into dirt racing or any just type of racing, give his page a like and follow. Uh, special thank you to Max Wong and Robbie Swan for running race control for us. And uh, Corey Reed from Fulton Speedway, uh, Fulton Speedway support of iRacing. Uh, they hadn't quite known what iRacing was, and for them to get on board as quick as it is, it's it's great working with that Speedway. And special thanks to you guys. I've, I've been a listener, I've been a fan, and to come on and join you guys, I've had a great time tonight and learned lots about hardware and different wheels, and I really appreciate uh, you guys uh, being so welcoming. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Chris. You've been great tonight. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, my final thoughts, uh, wow, you know, starting to build a computer list, uh, computer build list is fun. I always like to have some kind of project I'm thinking about, but am I going to do it? I don't know. That's a lot of money, $3,700. I probably can get another year or more out of the uh, system I have, but it's one of those things when iRacing is so important to you that you don't want to be in a spot where you don't have it. Like if the computer fails, like I had that thing a couple of weeks ago where no video would come up at all. I turned that thing on and nothing, all the screens are black and 
it just sends me into a panic. I'm like, oh my, how am I going to race if this computer dies? So to have that list, to know that I can pull the trigger uh, on the parts and, and order it and build it if I need to, I, I just feel a little comfort in that. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but uh, I might. So uh, other than that, we'll try to get in that sprint car race on Tuesday. But uh, man, I was hoping for a win this week uh, in dirt, but I think I think the thing is, is it's a year later. Um, dirt on in NASCAR isn't such a new thing anymore, and these guys are better than they were last year. And so maybe that's why I can't get to first. Uh, I can get the top five, but I just can't seem to get that next step like I did last year. So uh, we'll try again tonight, uh, tomorrow night, and see if we can get it. And with that, hey, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the Odd Racers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.